This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome to a very special post-Oscars edition of Real Blend. A podcast that, if I'm being totally honest, is feeling a little bit guilty about speaking that Green Book Best Picture win into existence. Hey, hey, hey. All your one fault, of us Sean. spoke the Green Book win into existence, O'Connell. Hold that guilt all to yourself. <laughs> it's all your it's, fault, man. Like it's fully it's on me. Fault. It's fully on me. My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm the man responsible for Green Book winning Best Picture at the uh, 91st Academy Awards. You're happy with yourself. Uh, I'm also the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and one third of Real Blend. And uh, I am, guys, I'm exhausted today. Like the day yeah. after Oscars telecast is is physically and mentally draining. Um, but first. Before we kick in, we're going to go through the entire telecast and strictly keep it to a rundown of everything that we learned uh, at the Oscars last night. I have to introduce my boys, see how they're doing, starting with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. How are you, sir? Dude, I'm tired, man. I'm tired. This is uh, there, <laughs> there's, really... there was just this feeling today of, because um, I'm Kevin, I'm sure Kevin was too, uh, I was on my morning show and uh, recapping the Oscars, and just this feeling of like, we, like we just finished a marathon. And the marathon mm-hmm. started in September. And yes. just this moment of like, we're done. And now I'm tired because <laughs> I don't have to see fake Glenn Close's like little like, oh, who, who, me? Like acceptance, like oh. look anymore. How stunned do you think Glenn Close was? That was the best performance of her career, pretending to be happy for Olivia <laughs> Coleman. Wow. Yeah. All right. We're going to get to that first. Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, do you feel the sense of the uh, end of the marathon also? Yeah. And I was talking to someone about this today, and I, I, I find it interesting that every year, um, I feel like um, like I, I have the Redskins here in Washington, D.C., and every year they just disappoint beyond belief. Um, but you're, there's this like glimmer of hope sometimes that something will happen, that they'll change their tune. Um, there were things that happened this year, and we'll get to the telecast, that I did really like, and I think we're moving in a better direction. But after that Best Picture announcement last night, I, I woke up this morning, and I'm like, why do I somehow think... They're going to fix this every year. And then they go with the movie that no one is going to remember, that no one's going to talk about, and that had absolutely no change on cinema. I mean, I just don't understand. Like, that was the worst choice of this, the eight to go with. I Maybe Vice. I don't know. So don't You know, know what I also found really strange? And we're, listen, we're going to be sort of, this is going to be ADD uh, podcasting. Because I think as things come to mind about the show, we're going to want to touch on them. Uh, game is already... <laughs> he's already I already got wrapped. I already got wrapped. Um, Two minutes when, into the on, show. Unlike the Peter winners Fairley, for best makeup, you got wrapped very early. When Peter Fairley... For the record, I got wrapped... Two minutes into the show today. Was on the stage um, for Best Picture. Did you guys find it really awkward where he was like, this whole movie is about Vigo? Yes. Not, and not Don Shirley. He said it began no. with Vigo. Not, not, it yes. didn't begin with, with, with Dr. Don Shirley. 
It began. And then he was kind of like, and Mahershala too, but really it's Vigo. And I was like, oh, I, I man, you can't even took get that like- as like, oh, we feel kind of bad because this entire award season, Vigo hasn't really won anything. And I feel like he hasn't gotten to have, he, maybe he thought that Vigo hasn't gotten to have his moment. He just, that was a, that was a poor way to phrase it. Can, can we also, um, Talk about the idea that this movie, we don't know for sure. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a hundred percent, but it probably won because of this preferential ballot system. Uh, I would imagine that. Do you see a lot of people, Sean, in the Academy putting Green Book at number one on their best picture list? Or do you think it won because of the preferential ballot system that allows it to win in two and three? I would 100% put it the preferential ballot system. So it goes to the movie that's like just universally accepted. Yes, I think so. All right, well, we will get into all of this because we're going to cover every single aspect of the Oscar telecast. This will be our big wrap-up for the 91st Academy Awards. Uh, As everybody knows, we kind of started as an awards blend podcast. This is our second time going through the Oscars, but we're going to try to do as traditional a show as possible, which means that we begin with reviews, and we have three of them to begin with. Uh, First one is by Tom Tinney, who is a frequent contributor on Twitter, uh, and in the Real Blend community, a huge diehard fan as well, too. He's uh, a good friend of mine from back in With the day. With a vengeance? His, he loves With a Vengeance. Good. Yeah. Thank you. He says, Real Blend is a must-listen-to film podcast. There are many podcasts out there about film, but not all will get me to hit that subscribe button. But Real Blend hosts Sean, Jake, Kevin, and their producer Gabe did just that. Each week, the Real Blend team deep dives into the film world, delivering knowledgeable news from the industry, reviews, and debate. They consistently bring energy and passion in a mostly professional way that creates one hell of a listen each week. What do you mean, mostly professional? I mean, he put that in parentheses, but it's there. So it's very clearly not 100% professional. Maybe maybe that's me screaming, Uh, you assholes, in the last episode. (laughs) did swear a lot uh every episode celebrates films of past and present with engaging topics like no other highly recommended dunkirk no yes i'm so proud of our our listeners that they (laughs) and they end reviews with dunkirk by the way and that review obviously mentions gabe's that was clearly gabe's mom right i mean that that was definitely a gabe's mom review (laughs) the the implication being that your mom doesn't like gabe (laughs) <laughs> no, she loves Gabe, but I think Gabe's mom wrote that review. Gabe's mom, by the way, legally, her name is Gabe's mom. <laughs> uh, this one comes from M.A. Sheets. It says, one of the best. It says, this has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. The passion these guys have for movies is clearly evident, and they have outstanding chemistry that isn't easily replicated. The fact that they are also industry insiders who get to talk to those actors and filmmakers we love is an added bonus. In fact, this is one of the podcasts that inspired me and my friend Adam to start our own entertainment podcast called Screen Time. Hey, we're plugging Screen Time for you. There you go, Adam. Congratulations. We're five episodes in. Thanks again, guys. Can't wait for the next episode. P.S. Kevin is right about First Man. Dunkirk in all caps with an exclamation point. I also like First Man. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Apparently that was written by Damien Chazelle's mom. Do you think it should have won (laughs) VFX Oscars over Infinity War and and Ready Player One? You're getting the wrap. We haven't even started. We're getting the wrap already. Oh, Gabe's because gonna, that Gabe's made gonna me pull his hair out by the so end. So angry. 
That's the, we, that's the one I'm most furious about. We've been wrapped five times. Just a heads up. <laughs> We're only seven minutes in. into the show. This one's going to be off the off the rails. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this one came via uh, email, via the Real Blend email. And that's right. If you're not on iTunes and you uh, would still like to send us a message, you can send it to realblend at cinemablend.com. And this comes from Baldvin. And this man is in Sweden. He said, I come from Iceland where the quote-unquote going-to-the-movies culture is very strong, so it is kind of in my blood. After I moved to Sweden with my family, I kind of backed off for a few months until I discovered Cinema Blend, which led me to the Real Blend podcast, and this show has brought me back. I enjoy your talk in every way, and the fact that you let us in makes this more special. Being a blender is such a joy, and it is all because we share one thing in common, love for movies. Thanks, guys. Baldwin, and he says, P.S., can you bring back Facebook Live maybe once a month? And I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah, so what we're going to do with that is we'll just have Gabe log on once a month for an hour, and you can just talk with Gabe. Just watch Gabe. Just watch Gabe from <laughs> Literally, Sweden. Gabe will just wrap you up in every, every, every question you have, <laughs> and that's it. There we go. So those are our reviews. If you guys want to hop on iTunes, send us a new review. You know we appreciate it. If you're not on iTunes and you want to email it to us, realblend at uh, cinemablend.com. Gabe says, don't reveal... What you can tease, we're working them. Oh, I can't. That's right. I'm pretty sure you. <laughs> That's right. I can't. That out loud. I can't reveal that. That was in red, <laughs> so it stood out, and it said, "Don't do this." So I can't tell you guys anything. But we might be working on a video element. Oh, that's what. All right, we might be working on a vid- video element for the show um, if we can hammer out the specifics of how to pull it off. Is that fair, Gabe? Is that right? That's good. Go oh, get. We also have. Um, I don't know. Can I talk about the uh, merchandise? Do we have merchandise? There's merchandise that's happening. Why am I hearing about this stuff for the first time on the show? Why? Well, because uh, I, I because the people who need to know know. That's that's what it is. The people who are in the know, <laughs> who are in well, the know. So you do know. Just... You saw it. You saw a picture of it. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, I know he's. I know what he's referring yeah, to. Okay. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, that's that's for later. Uh, we Ooh, have one thing yeah, that we have to talk about. Oh, now Gabe's showing off the merchandise. Yeah. We have one thing that we do need to talk about before we dive into the Oscar telecast, and it is the trailer, kind of that was shown yes. during the telecast, uh, the Oscars telecast last night. For what I have to believe is. The most anticipated movie uh, for Real Blend in 2019. Although Kevin put it next to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. This was a teaser that basically listed uh, Scorsese's name, the title of the movie, and then the cast, which would include Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Harvey Keitel, uh, Joe Pesci. Hey, do you know what all four of those guys have in common? They have an I in their name. They do, and the eye was formed by a bullet shell casing, uh, and some dialogue. There was some dialogue between uh, Pacino and De Niro, which meant nothing to me. But even even at that, I was electrified by the trailer. What did you guys think? I uh, I mean, did it really make you more? I mean, I was already excited about this movie. It would to me there was. I mean, I get it. I get that that's what a teaser is. I understand the concept and that we're super far out, and that that's probably as good as it's going to get um, for the time being. But it didn't make me any more excited about the movie than I already was. I mean, th- I mean, it was a cool idea that with the gun, uh, with the, with the bullet casing sort of falling and it forming the eye in everyone's name. Like that's it's cool. But I didn't like it's a it's a forty eight second 
trailer and it, after the 40 second 48 seconds it wasn't like a, oh well now i'm more excited it was like oh yeah that's cool like it's a, like it's an acknowledgement that it exists i did like however and, and in the spirit of kevin mccarthy before it said netflix it said in theaters yes <laughs> and I mean, here's the one thing i'll say about that trailer not everybody has the insight we do into the movie business like not everybody knows there's a new martin scorsese film coming out with everybody in this movie so uh now there's two ways to look at this one I thought the trailer was great. I, I I like things like that. I like a little tease, a little. They're giving us something. Uh, we've seen nothing. Would on you this movie. like it to, like um, to end with just a quick glimpse of what one of the guys is going to look like? Sure, definitely. That's fine. But I mean, I, I thought the bullet was really clever. I thought that was fun to watch. I was I was like I was completely. I don't know. I didn't expect the trailer, so it wasn't like I was just surprised by it and I was happy with it. Um, but you know, not everybody watching that show last night knew that Martin Scorsese had a new movie coming out with all those people in it. So maybe they learned it last night based on that. Um, and we don't know when it's coming, right? It said fall, right? right? Did it say fall? Okay. Because yeah, that makes sense. I, it's it's weird. I actually put that in my top ten most anticipated movies of 2019, but then I started getting worried it was going to get pushed to 2020. Because there was no like official release date for it, um, but he's done shooting it, right? I believe yes. so, but it's, most of it is just the de aging process, which I know you were talking a bit about with Sam Jackson. And I, I, the characters in this movie, from what I understand, are going to span decades, and it's going to be the same actors doing it. So I, I think it's just so awesome. much post production. Yeah, the de aging on Sam Jackson when you guys see Captain Marvel, it's that we we've made it. We've gotten to a point where you can do it and right. and do it flawlessly and do it for a character who's on who's on screen for a long time. So right. if if anything, Captain Marvel should give people uh, an excitement level for what they're going to do with Irishman, specifically considering how much the budget was. Right? Didn't they give Scorsese like a one seventy five? I think they were the. I think that's Huge. the big reason he left uh, Paramount because uh, no other major studio was willing to to drop that kind of coin for him. Why and he knew does he that needed film yeah. cost that much, though? It's all, all the de-aging, de-aging man. Things? I mean, it's, if it's a three-hour wow. movie, and you've got to de-age four major yeah. actors uh, for, from what I've read, half the movie, so we're talking like an hour and a half, uh, I mean, that's a lot of money, dude. Forgive my ignorance, I have not read into a lot of what this film is about. Why? What is it about, and why are we There's something about decades? that line about painting houses is from what I because I, I looked this up whenever they first announced who like and I looked up to who the guy was. That line about I hear you paint houses is pretty substantial. I can't remember exactly the details, but that there's a reason they put that line in the trailer. I read I read yeah. the Nero, Pacino, Kaitel, Pesci. Yeah. It's those four. Yeah. And they're and, all and, gonna uh, be Pacino's the only and one Ray that Romano. has it. <laughs> 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 Irishman. I can't do it. It it's the story of the guy who allegedly killed Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, okay. that's the big hook. Um, and 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 Jake's right. There's something to do with house painting, uh, which is kind of like what it, the guy's front was. That's I what. I, yeah, I think that was that was what he told. And that's why when he was like, "I hear you painted houses," and he just goes, "Yeah, yeah." Well, I was we'll I was home this weekend, and I was going through I think Netflix or something, and I found The Departed, and I re- I put that on for like an hour and a half. It that film should not work as good as it does. It it's so it's it so good and it's it so but, it, but but it's Aww. so ADD. Oh I, oh, I love cough? the departed. You a cough? <laughs> but it is it, it's truly an ADD film. Like that film is just I mean it takes does it take like 30 minutes before we get the title card? Oh yeah, and it's like and it, but it's so good. Oh, I love it. I and love like, the departed. Like, like you'll be you'll be in the middle of these really heavy dialogue sequences 
And then he'll jump to like a Rolling Stones track and it'll be a montage. And for some reason, it works. Like, See, I mean, now that's why I argue it I, feels to me like a hack director trying to do Scorsese. I don't, I didn't find that. I mean, I don't think he deserved to win finally for that. I think he deserved to win like way earlier for like sure. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, things like that. Um, it was a make good Oscar and The Departed's a I think Depart is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I still think the Martin Sheen death in that scene, that movie is so brutal. That oh my god, that yeah. fall, and that yeah, oh, but the, the sound. Sean, it, Sean's right, and I, and I love the Departed. In fact, I think it was my number one of the year, the year it came out. But it is Scorsese yeah. almost knowingly doing Scorsese. Yeah, but I mean, like even Wolf of Wall Street had had that had that ADD element where it was like like but Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street seems tighter. Too. Yeah, it's still my favorite DiCaprio performance of all time. It's such a great movie. Uh, anyway, so, but yeah, I think The Irishman looks cool. I definitely want to see it in theaters. And, you know, props to Netflix for uh, doing this. They're doing this with a lot. The Triple Frontier, by the way. The movie that Jake and I are going to New York to cover this week with Ben Affleck and um, uh, Charlie Hunnam. That I believe that comes out a week before Netflix in theaters. I think they're they're doing a, they're doing a theater. release So does that a clear them with AMC? Because that was AMC's big hangup, which was we no, no. It's still because it's what it's got to be what ninety days. No. AMC and Regal want ninety days. Well, they're so never going to get you, ninety you days from Netflix. I but, know, but, you, it, but I think Irishman is going to be very telling because Irishman is going to be the first. I mean. They could almost arguably get by not putting Roma in their theaters because probably they're thinking no one's probably going to go see Roma in theaters. Are they seriously not going to put a Scorsese movie with Pacino and De Niro and Pesci and Keitel in their theaters? I here's think that's why. where here's they came. Here. AMC. Well, here's the thing. And, uh, I'm sorry. You said, no, I, think, again, I, think, I think Irishman is what is going to get Regal and AMC to cave because they're going to want that in theaters. I don't think they're going to cave, and here's why. Like I think a lot of people... Uh, and here's the thing. We all build an excitement for a release date. There are people out there in the world, a lot of people, who don't consider theatrical to be the day the movie comes out for them. It's the day the movie comes out on demand or digital. They live their life in that cycle. That sounds um, horrible. So the theatrical window, I know, I know, but some people do. But my point being is that, and this is a question that I think is very fascinating. If you are given a movie in theaters a week before it hits Netflix... Will you wait that week to watch it on your subscription and not spend money to go to a theater? Or will you go to a theater? Are you, are you talking are to me or are you talking to the average person no. who has Netflix? The, I'm the average person who has Netflix. So oh, they'll wait. I, I mean, me. Right. So my point being is like, why would AMC and Regal cave for only a week span? So I think what they'll do is they'll do the same thing they did with Bird Box and Roma and all these movies. They'll put it into the landmarks, the IFCs, whatever theaters that Netflix is being connected to. And then you'll go to, right to Netflix with it. I mean, that's here's the thing. I'm OK with it because we're still getting the theatrical window prior to the release of the Netflix movie. That's all I care about. That's all that matters to me. So I'm OK with that. Fascinating. All right. Let's get to the Oscars. Uh, Sunday night was the Oscar telecast. And right off the bat, I want to comment on the fact that they had no host. And people weren't sure if that was going to be a train wreck uh, or if this was going to be the sign of things to come. And uh, I want to go first and just say that to me, it was a great choice. Uh, I think it showed that they weren't necessarily ready for it um, in terms of the telecast, because the telecast had a bunch of hiccups where like winners would end up on stage in a big group and they didn't know how to transition to the presenter next. Um, but it was fine. I, I was okay with that mess because what I found was you they open with Queen um, and then they start giving out 
awards right away. So by the 8.30 mark, I think we had six awards given out. And I was like, this thing is flying by. You know, like normally in your head, you get to a benchmark where you're like, oh, now we have a couple of winners. It must be 9, 9.15 or something. And it was only 8.30. And I thought that the whole thing was humming. Did you guys like the lack of a host? Or did you ever at one point think, oh, I wish we had somebody to come on and sort of help transition things along? I missed the host. If I'm being honest, really? I missed the opening monologue. I missed the through line. I missed the um, immediate reaction to certain moments. At, at, a, at a certain point, it felt a little like step and repeat, step and repeat. It was, it was you know, okay. presentation, winner, speech, presentation, winner, speech. And yeah, you're right. It absolutely buzzed along. And there was a moment where I looked at the clock and thought, damn, we're an hour and a half in and we're halfway through. Like, this thing's going to clock in right, after three right. hours. And that was great. But I, I would say to give me another 30 minutes tacked onto the show and then give me all the bits and i'm not saying that we need you know i think unfortunately lately the the host means jimmy kimmel going into the movie theater next door in a bit that just goes on forever and and just doesn't really have any payoff i'm not saying we need to go that far but like ellen walking through the aisle taking selfies with people ellen walking through the aisle giving candy to martin scorsese and clint eastwood those little moments that that through line that kind of strings each award together, um, I would say I miss that. Because other other Now why can't they have that though? Can't they do that anyway? Like it doesn't have to be an official host. But could they but just then, do I bits mean, but, with the people why, in the crowd? Why you know go why go that close and then not have a host? If you're if you're gonna do it, just do it and have it be one person. Because I'll say this one thing. Today I watched the monologue that Aubrey Plaza gave for the Indie Spirit Awards. Right? <laughs> that was good. And it's a funny monologue, it's right? Very but as good. I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, but this is like, this is kind of, da- like, I don't necessarily need this stand-up routine, you know, from a celebrity. I did think it was funny, but now that I've seen the Oscars without the tacked-on monologue, I just, I didn't need it. Kevin, where are you? I am all in on no host. Really? Uh, that, that surprises sounds, me. And, and it sounds weird because that you would think that I'd want the old school nostalgia way of the Oscars. I thought last night's show was moving and it was entertaining. But what was, was memorable pres- about See, it? What was memorable? I mean, I can go through a list. Are we going to get through everything? I mean, there's a lot yeah, of things I remember. But like, but like uh, in the- 10 years, what was memorable about like about about that show? Gaga okay, Cooper. but that that had the host that had no impact. Uh, the host had no impact. The, the, uh, that's I still the show though. I prefer I can, now you can't do this every year, but I I preferred the Queen opening to Me a too. Here's the thing. Um, well, we'll get Nelton John next year. The ratings are, <laughs> which is awesome. The ratings are up, um, clearly. Uh, and I, I, the last thing, number I looked at was, I believe, 13 to 15% from last year. Mm. Um, again, they're, yeah, they're coming but, off a bad year, yes. Yeah, but it's still, yes. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a double-edged sword. Like, yes, they're, they're up, but they're up from the lowest, and they're still the second lowest. Well, there's two reasons why they're up. They're up because I think the show was tighter, and it was and more entertaining, and it was up also because... A lot of films that were nominated were films that everybody in the world saw. So, like Black Panther, uh, you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Stars Born were very big films for a lot of people. So, clearly, people wanted to tune in to see if their movie was going to win. Um, going back to the host thing, I loved Ellen. I mean, what you're saying about Ellen was amazing. I didn't miss the host last night. I thought that the presenters provided that through line for me in regards to the entertainment. Um, I loved Maya Rudolph and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler doing the We're Not the Hosts bit and then just doing a joke. Um, I thought opening with a musical number was super strong. Javier Bardem was rocking out. It was actually really cool to see people in the crowd rocking out. Um, I don't know. To me, the show was just... 
I had the same thing. We're an hour and a half in. I was like, blew my mind how fast this thing went by. And every category got recognition. And every speech, for the most part, was great. Um, so I, thought, I just loved the entirety of the show. My favorite thing about that show last night was the way they transitioned to Cooper and Gaga. Um, there was no introduction. Zero someone saying, here's Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga. The, the guy got off stage for winning an award. They cut backstage. It's one single shot on a steady cam, going up to the piano. I love the behind the scenes people bringing the piano these out. These are all improvements in producing and writing. Right. These are not improvements that were made because there was no host. We'll see now. Yeah, if there was a host that could. These are all things that could be better with a host. I, I mean, disagree. Like, all, Why do you... all that requires is the producer to get more creative. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have had a host, but still had Cooper and Gaga emerge from the crowd you could have had a host and still had the uh the presenters have funny bits i mean they've tried funny bits in the past they've just fallen yeah. short that's that's all writing and producing that has nothing to do with whether or not they had a host. let me ask you this though the only thing the only thing that was impacted by not having a host was the speed in which the show yeah moved. and it was awesome i mean the show yeah, but, but, moved but briskly why, why does the show have to be fast no I, I, but the show but was three hours and 15 minutes we get this once and we get this once a year because you it was, feel a drag was, don't you feel you a do. drag some years also even though yes. i'm enjoying it i still i still think like you know okay come on this is but i'll tell you the one thing that i thought could needs to go and this is the, the red carpet coverage the red carpet coverage well, is not part of the show. Yeah, yeah that's not part of the show. You know what? Though. There are a lot of people that aren't on this podcast that that's what they tune in that's for. That's all they want. That's yeah. They, they they tune out when the show starts. Yeah. Well, I'll say one thing about the show itself specifically is the the fast pace of uh, element of it. Um, and the production wise, I thought it was just, I thought it was well shot, and I thought it was. Oh, I did. I mean, aside from the Gaga. Um, oh, I mean, performance. I thought it was actually weirdly shot. I thought it was actually didn't bother me. It was. There were a couple of moments where I thought, "What? Do you, what did they well, do?" And the I had a friend, a, a guy who does morning radio here in Charlotte, um, who I, was having me on this morning, and he texted me before he was crashing last night at like nine, and he said, "Is it just me or is this a train wreck?" And I was like, "No, I think it's actually great." So it's pretty funny. The opinions are kind of all over the place in terms of how it was perceived. Jake, let me ask you this, and I want you to be 100% honest, which, which you always are. How many times have you watched the Academy Awards, and then they bring the host back an hour and a half into the show, and you go, oh, I forgot he was hosting. Happens to me every year. I'm like, oh, 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 uh, here, oh there, there's Kimmel. Oh, there's... I mean, there. but that's... That's... that's That goes back to the producer. Like, produce the show better. Or, or the argument being that they did bits that fell flat that you don't remember. Like, but, essentially, what I'm asking for is to... Bring the host back, but step up your game. Like if, if all you can offer me is Kimmel going next door and surprising people in a movie theater and having that bit go on, like if your bit has to go to commercial break and come back to complete it, <laughs> then it's not a good bit. But they, bring the bring in people off the streets and, and and having them like be married, like live. Like I, I don't want that. I don't want that. But I I loved like the 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 selfie. You know, like, yeah, that was great. Like all that. So, like that's the sort of stuff that I like. So you know, like scan. You've got you've got. 91 years of the Oscars to look back on and figure out what worked and what didn't. Um, but, you know, for, 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 you know, 89 of those years, there have been hosts, or however many years since they, they, they've had a host. Um, and a lot of times it's worked. More often than not, it, it has. Like the, and, the, and, the Ellen hosting was amazing. That, that, that's one you keep going back to. That's the only yeah. one you keep going back to. Because I, well, I I, I'm trying to think of like lately. Because, you know, it's easy to go to, to Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg. But, like, they're probably not going to do it again. And a lot of the stuff that they did uh, probably maybe won't, won't fly. But, you know, I was watching uh, – 
uh, one of the one of Billy Crystal's entrances uh, from uh, the early '90s, and it was when uh, Silence of the Lambs came out, and he came out, you know, and on the on the yeah. like the, the yeah, upright yeah, yeah, gurney yeah. with the Hannibal Lecter mask, yeah. and came out and like made a joke, and then started the show. Yeah. I'm not saying it's got to be this big razzle dazzle, but like someone to just kind of kind of pop along and kind of keep the show moving, and, and then and then if something weird happens or something funny happens in a, in an acceptance speech, then then we cut back to this person and see what, like what are they going to say? How are they going to react to that? And I just missed that. It felt a little step and repeat, step and repeat. It had just it didn't feel like it really had a heart or a soul to it. I thought the show had a great energy. It, it never lost me. Like 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 I've I've felt these shows drag and I'm the biggest we're all big movie fans and like and it drags. Like not even a moment, not even during the documentary short speeches. I was all into it. The whole thing I was into. All right, so, well let's get to But, I, but I, get, I get where Jake's coming from. Like there there have been hosts that have done great job but last night's show was one of the best Oscars I've seen in a long time. Uh, refraining from talking about best picture, because uh, we will save we'll save best picture for um, for a conversation a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I guess let's start with what what was your favorite win last night? What's the win that got you guys most excited? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, it's got to be um, animated feature. Seeing seeing Lord and Miller. Yeah. I mean, thinking about the last 12, 18 months those guys have had, um, I mean, even, uh, I think it was Phil Lord posted a picture today, which was his Oscar um, on a mantle next to his Lego Oscar, which you'll remember that he made after they didn't get nominated for Lego Movie a couple of years ago. And you just think about the journey that these guys have had. I mean, being a front runner for an animated feature, then not even getting nominated, Getting a Star Wars film, having the Star Wars film taken away, and then finally getting to stand uh, up on Oscar stage and, and hold their Oscars in the, up in the air. I mean, they, they've had a roller coaster of emotions, yeah. man, and it was really fulfilling to say, guys, like, I, it, it may not have seemed like it for, for many, many moments, but things worked out the way they were supposed to. And, that, and, and it couldn't have happened to, to two nicer guys or two more talented guys. And that, that, that made me very happy. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a great moment. And also just the idea of a, a, them winning over the other films that were, it was nominated for. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was cool to see Phil and Chris up there. And I'm glad they got to talk. Uh, I'm glad they got to, you know, because I know Phil co-wrote it or wrote it, and then Chris just produced it. Not just produced it, but he wasn't a writer on the film, I believe. Um, and, you know, just see them up there. My favorite moment was easily Sam Jackson announcing Spike Lee, and then Spike Lee with his gold Air Jordans getting off the ground like 10 feet, it looked like, <laughs> into Sam Jackson's arms. And, you know, it just, I didn't do the right things, one of the greatest movies ever made, so it was just very cool to have Sam Jackson give him that award. Um, you know, you saw again, it on his face. As soon as yeah, he opened the card and, awesome. and read it, you could see yeah. how happy he was. Which sometimes I feel like the Oscars, they pick presenters out of hopes yeah. that you get that moment. Right. Uh, I mean, think of the year that, that Martin Scorsese won Best Director. The presenters were Spielberg, um, Lucas, and Coppola. 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 And the hopes... Then of course you hope that it's those three giving it to right. Scorsese. But if it hadn't been, it would have been kind of an awkward like, oh well, like this right. is clearly <laughs> like with Alfonso. It's not like clearly, well, yeah, clearly that, yeah, clearly, yeah. That's that's what feeds into what my favorite one was, which was Quran. And it's uh, it's Alfonso getting director because two is special. You know, like one one is amazing and well deserved. Two puts him in rarefied air. And, and the most beautiful moment was Guillermo being able to read it 
read off. I know how to pronounce that name. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. My. But you know, I gotta say, I actually thought, like, for me, very rarely does an Oscar speech, I'd argue, make me look at the world differently. But Alfonso Cuarón's speech for best foreign language film, right. where he talked about growing up with foreign films, and those foreign films were Jaws. <laughs> And The Godfather. And this perspective that every film, every film is a foreign language film to someone. Yeah. And just a reminder, I thought that was great because I think we're probably a little bit more open to watching a foreign language film than maybe the average moviegoer. And it was just a reminder to every person out there not to close your mind just because you might have to read subtitles. Because every country on this planet delivers high quality cinema. And sometimes you maybe, maybe you just don't speak the language that the characters do, but that shouldn't shut you off. And it was really an amazing reminder when he when he put it like that, that some of our favorite films were, for him, the foreign language films he had growing up. I thought that was just this, to me, that was personally my favorite speech of the night because it really made me stop and go, wow, my entire perspective on cinema has changed because of it, what he just said. It That's blew awesome. my mind that That's Jaws awesome. was a foreign language movie. Like, yeah, like, that's 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 like, that was a very strange thing to hear. And, I, and, and, and Jake, but it Jake, makes sense. Jake's 100% right. I've never thought about it, which is why I'm very, I'm, I was so adamant about recommending Roma as much as I possibly could because I know people would be automatically, some people would be automatically turned off by it being black and white and in subtitles. Um, and that's essentially how Alfonso Cuaron probably watched Jaws with with, yeah. sub, uh, with subtitles, so I just I find it interesting that actually was a, like Jake to Jake's point that was a mind blowing perspective. I have never thought of The Godfather being a foreign. Like, when was the last time an Oscar movie? speech changed your perspective yeah. on movies? Well, I think he's a pretty I, brilliant guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean he came on real blind. He has to be. And yes. they cut Good to point. I think they cut to that point. They cut to Guillermo del Toro. I, I don't know if you guys realize if you I've watched that speech three or four times now um, because that moment I love that moment so much I'm so happy Jake brought that up but that was, that was his foreign language right because he won so many freaking Oscars right. last night that it was hard to so but that was his foreign language right. speech was, I believe so yeah. Guillermo didn't present that one right Guillermo was in the crowd they cut to oh, Guillermo okay, laughing so, so yeah. got it. I can't remember there was two films he said at first before he got a laugh because I, I, I think it took a second for everybody to process what he just said um, it was it was Jaws was it, was, and was it Rashomon? It, Rashomon was the third one. What was the? What was the? Oh, I have it right here. My, my, you uh, mentioned the Godfather. I'll get to my point in a second with this. But, oh, here it is, right here. Okay, so it was Citizen Kane, Jaws, Rashomon, Godfather. So he says Citizen Kane, and nobody reacts yet. If you look, listen to the audio, it wasn't until he hits Jaws that people started processing exactly what he meant because it was such a brilliant and thought-provoking piece of information that I don't think anybody at least in my mindset, had ever thought about. Right. Like, those movies are so American to us. So American, right? Like, they're so... Not Rashomon, but, like... Uh, that, yeah, yeah. That was And that was cool that he put that in there, too, because that was um, Akira Kurosawa, right? Yeah. So, so, that, so that's a foreign that language one, film to us. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and that's even more foreign language to... Like, it, it's like a double <laughs> element there for, um, for him. Because uh, maybe... I'm, I'm assuming he grew up with some English-speaking elements in his lifetime. I, I don't know. But, you know, it's fascinating to think about. I mean, I mean it, it truly blows my mind <laughs> that, like, Die Hard's a foreign language movie. I mean, think about that for a second. Um, so, well, but yeah, those but, are, yeah. If those are our favorite wins, um, which ones made you the most disappointed? And again, not yet getting the best picture. Not yet getting the best picture. Oh, can I say one more thing real quick about Samuel L. Jackson? Sure. Um, Jake and I, and I think we all have, interviewed him 
a million times. I've interviewed Sam Jackson, I think the most out of any actor I've ever talked to. He is not an excitable type of person. He's very chill. Mm-hmm. And he's like very, like I've brought things up to him about like going to, like I, I, Jake knows this, every time I go to Cannes, France or wherever I'm in France for a junket, I always go to McDonald's and get a Royale with cheese. Always do that just because I love Pulp Fiction. I'll tell Sam Jackson that and I'll go, cool man. Cool. Like, like, and like, we'll talk about talk like about golf. That's all he wants to talk about. Oh, I know. But like, my, 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 my point being is that like, he's so he's done this for so long that it doesn't really blow his mind anymore. I, I, I think he gets excited about the work. and I think he loves working, but it's kind of just part of his natural life. These things that we think are mind blowingly cool are just Sam Jackson's life. Yeah, yeah. So to see him elevate into a geek out mode was like surreal to me because I've never <laughs> seen him approach that and I've sat across from him so many times maybe maybe it's my questions I have no idea but I just I don't ever see him as somebody who's just like a very outgoing hilarious interview you know what I mean right. so I don't know there was something about Jake have you I don't know if you agree with me on this like I think he's pretty chill in interviews yeah I mean but I I you know that's 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 his one of his best friends. That would be the equivalent of like me get, like getting the chance to give you an Oscar. Right, like you would see a reaction out of me. Yeah, and I would hope that you would leap into my arms. No, of course the I way would. That, but it, uh, that, that Spike it Lee was cool, left into his. But it was cool to see Sam Jackson in a movie situation getting excited about a movie scenario. Well, he let the, he let a, the facade down, right? Yeah, like, don't, he normally it was just keeps... a reminder that these are human beings too, well, and we forget that like they're friends and yeah. you know, they want to see their friends succeed yeah. and do well. And 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 th- those are the moments that, to your point, those are the moments you remember whenever they stop sort of performing for the cameras and they yes. become they become human for a second. What yeah. Sean just said is exactly right. Like, I think Sam Jackson is genuinely excited that he's in every one of these movies star wars mcu but there is a coolness to him that like you know what i'm sam jackson it's it's, this is my life sure but he broke that and that was cool to me well it would freak me out to see that out of bruce willis who's someone yeah like i just i don't see that in him anymore i think that spark of of living is gone (laughs) well see (laughs) i think bruce willis just genuinely just I get a vibe that he's just tired of the business in general. I don't think Sam Jackson's tired of it. I, think he's, right. I just think he puts on a cool facade, like you said. Um, Bruce Willis, to me, strikes me as somebody who's just kind of over the Hollywood business. I don't know yeah. if you agree with that. And I would love to see him get that excited again, because yeah. I miss that aspect of, of him. I mean, Spike Lee is, what, 60 years old? He jumped into a grown man's arms live on stage, like yeah. leaped out of the... It was unbelievable. Like That was so... Well, I have you know, to give credit it, to uh, one of our guys on staff who came up with uh, what I thought was a great meme and should have gone further. He had a picture of Nick Fury from the first Avengers, and it <laughs> says, "I'm here to talk to you about the." And he crossed out Avengers Initiative, and he put Nick's because <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> such a weird thing for Sam Jackson to do, but so perfect for Spike because I, I know that. He, I absolutely love that. And yeah. Spike, by the way, was like a kid again last night. I mean, like that guy's been making movies for so many years, and I've interviewed him before. Jake has too. He can be a tough interview, a very tough interview. Um, to see him kind of walk into that show last night like he was like a, a kid in film school again yeah. and like be blown away by the the idea that he was on this stage winning an Oscar. I mean, he was nominated in 1990, right? What year was Do the Right Thing? I don't remember what year that was. He was, he was not no- nominated for that. I think he was nominated for 1990 for something. Well, I don't know if it was Do the Right Thing. But I think I don't, it, it was nominated for a picture, but I want to say it was he a writer. Got a screenplay right. nomination. Right, okay. yeah, screenplay nomination. Okay. I don't know if it was Do the Right Thing, but double check on that. Um, but either way, it was 1990. There you go, because the movie was 89, 1990 Oscars. Um, but he didn't win. 
I think another actor in that movie got nominated too. I can't remember the guy's name. I think it might have been Danny the guy Aiello. In the, in it was Danny Aiello. Shop. Yeah, yeah. Who I think so, won. But I don't know. It was just like that. Like going back to these every moment we're mentioning here. Um, it's just such a great question that you asked. I'm glad you asked it because Jake Jake brought up that that speech and it, I, I just. I didn't process it until I watched it a couple times. Like what yeah. Alfonso said, man. Oh my God, it's so weird. Well, come back around to disappointments. I want to get to disappointments. What's what's a, a snub or or a, an award that happened that you guys are like, ugh? And again, not pick, we're not getting picture yet. <laughs> yeah, look, I by no means am I like a massive self confessed Glenn Close fan, and in fact, like I've actually seen her be not a nice person. So there's a part of me that kind of goes, oh, oh well, tell that story. Uh, I I just I was at a restaurant at the. Four Seasons one time and just saw her break, just rip apart a server. And as a guy really? that used to wait uh, wait tables, uh, I have no patience for that. I have no patience oh, for people that 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 uh, are mean to servers. Uh, be nice to people that handle your food. Um, but you you gotta feel anyone that goes oh for seven in anything. Right. You got there's a part of you that goes like ah oh, because that because you know the award season is such a grind. And if you're thinking of if you're you know she did everything right she played ball she she did everything she's supposed to do and to get that close yeah, yeah, yeah. and still miss out you know there's got to be and and granted I've been making fun of her this whole award season I think all of her <laughs> like who me acceptance speeches have been super insincere. That being said, I don't like to see anyone go for over seven. I mean even Amy Amy Adams is getting in that territory too. She's now over six. Um, the but, difference uh, with Amy Adams is that we all she's still know got plenty of time. Yes, she's going to have yeah. multiple opportunities, and yeah. Glenn Close but does it, not. Say, how, how many more of these amazing Oscar-worthy performances? Because there might be another movie where she is really good, and there might be another movie where she gets an Oscar nomination. Sure, but how many more movies is she going to be the front runner again? That's that's going to be tough. Did you guys hear about Glenn Close's favorite? Um, oh. For, did you guys hear about Glenn Close's favorite Gerard Butler movie? Have you, I don't know if you guys heard about this one yet. Is it Glenn Close Down? No, it's uh, Glenn of Thebes. I, it was like a really big movie for her life, and I think she was very excited about that one. So, yeah, Glenn of Thebes. Really, you know, good one. She should have won for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, she wasn't in it. It's her um, favorite, it's favorite Gerard Butler movie. I'm staying in that category uh, for my most disappointing one, and I'm, I'm saying uh, Olivia Coleman winning because I it's category fraud. It's category. Like, she is not a lead she's actress. She's not leading. And the only reason she's in that category is that she didn't compete against her other two, and they didn't win. So what's the what's the point? That whole thing was just a shell game. But why are you guys mad, mad about Olivia Coleman, but you're not mad about Mahershala Ali? Well, it's uh, the same thing. Mahershala Ali is, is arguably as much of a lead no. actor, or actor in a lead role as Viggo Mortensen. It's the same thing, those two, and buddy. it counts against... Um, uh, God, whose name I'm blank. Uh, uh, Sam Elliott, in the exact same way. How many more chances is Sam Elliott going to get an opportunity? Right, but, but, but you guys seem fixated on, on Olivia Coleman's position, but not Mahershala Ali. No, we haven't gotten to Mahershala Ali yet. I think Mahershala Ali is definitely a lead. Uh, in, in we, we all, We've discussed this before a million times in the show. What it comes down to is how the studio positions the actor. Right. Um, but, but that being said, the Academy can go against that. If you remember um, the year that Kate Winslet won the Oscar, they were pushing her for lead for Revolutionary Road and, the and then supporting for the reader. And that was how it was the entire award season before the Academy ended up nominating her for lead actress for the reader and then just not for Revolutionary um, gonna, Road. I'm so gonna, they can they can choose to, to do it how they how they want. I'm going to float something based on Mahershala last night. I don't think he's really proud to be part of this movie. 
I that's that's what I was saying. Yeah, I I agree with you. Well, I don't I, think I think he won for Moonlight, and he's very proud that he won for Moonlight. And then he won last night, and he was very subdued, and didn't seem like he was on the Green Book bandwagon. What well, so? I, to get some clarification, the the controversy surrounding Green Book throughout the award season, we don't have to get into all of it, but what is... So the Don, we don't have time to get into all of it. But the Don Shirley aspect of it. So from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, I could be wrong, Don Shirley, the family, uh, was not happy with the portrayal of the storyline. Is that correct? Well, no, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, story is written by the, the story is written by the son of Vico Mortensen's characters. And right. he's basing it on the memories of his like father stories that his father told him over the years right so they could like anyone's memories they're not fact and they're probably you know weighted in one direction or the other and they never uh, i don't know how i don't know never but the family of don shirley is saying that they were never really consulted to give their side of okay. all of these stories so but and 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 in one sense that's okay if you're choosing to just we're going to tell this side of the story because this is the one that we know you're allowed to do that that's fine but then you also have to be prepared for the other person's family to come out and say well we don't remember it this way or this isn't necessarily proven 100% because it's a work of fiction but the more that it was no, I'm sorry not a work of fiction it's it's a screenplay but it's not like it's not a documentary keep in mind, it won original screenplay it's Oof. not adapted from a book Oof. it's not adapted for i mean when, when was the last time a, a, a a true story wasn't adapted right. from some sort of well-researched yeah. Yeah, I believe source that there material. was like a memoir or something, you know, some Nothing. book that the father wrote. Yeah. But it and wasn't. in fact, just in like the Italian uh, press stories. conference afterward, the Vigo, the, the, the son that wrote the, the screenplay was asked why he didn't uh, go to the Shirley family. And he essentially alluded to the fact that like, oh, well, no one really asked me to go do it or I didn't even really know they were around. Like he didn't even bother to stop and go, Maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe I should knock on the door of the other person that I'm writing about. And it was reported that Mahershala apparently apologized to the family, from what I understand. Is that correct? Yes. Was that official or was that yes, someone? Yes, that happened. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, going back to the Mahershala Ali thing and him being proud of the film and, and then also back to Jake's point about the leading. I mean, Mahershala Ali, I mean, it's interesting about that one. That one I can, that one I actually don't have a, a major issue with. Um, I think it's more Vigo's movie and how Vigo, they both change each other, but I think it's more Vigo's arc, uh, how much he's changed, changed by Mahershala. But then you can look at it both ways. Yes. But with favorite, I think it's clear that Coleman is supporting, uh, and it's Emma's story. She shows up and it's her entire story. Um, queen, she's the queen. So I think it makes sense why you position someone as the lead because they're playing the centerpiece of the story. But I don't think it's as drastic as, uh, is. is. I feel like you could make an argument he's supporting. Well, I don't know. And I'm, I'm going to give my argument is that I'm not mad that Mahershala won because I think Mahershala gave an Oscar worthy performance in the movie. So the it's fact that he got a, yeah. an Oscar, I'm happy for that. Um, I, I'm not even mad that Rami won because I think no, Rami Malek is yeah. the best part of that movie, right? And that category, yeah. I would have been happy if Vigo won. I would have been happy if Bradley won. I'm, I'm fine with Rami winning. I'm truthfully am. I didn't think Olivia okay Coleman was winning? good. Yeah, I would have been fine with Bale winning. I, I didn't think Olivia Coleman was that good. I don't think she did anything really that stood out to me that I was like, this is an Oscar worthy. I agree. I think Emma and Rachel Vice are the are the performances that stood out to me in the favorite. Olivia Coleman. But I will say this, and Jake, uh, Jake, you and I did the junket for that movie. Um, when we were in New York for that, there was that buzz 
going into that junket that Olivia Coleman yeah. was going to be the front runner to win the Oscar. Yeah, and because it, we didn't, she was shooting the crown, right. so we didn't get to interview Olivia Coleman. Oh, interesting. And I remember being disappointed, thinking that's a bummer We're because gonna she's probably going to yep. end up winning Best Actress. Oh wow, and she did. Now, I literally remember sitting in that talking about that with Jake and going, she's the front runner. It sucks we're not getting her. And then all award season, we're like, oh, that didn't really make a difference, right? Because she's not going to win. <laughs> yeah. And then and then she won the BAFTA, which I guess now is something we have to start looking at majorly in indications for the Oscars. Right. Um, but, I, I mean, I didn't really think about the BAFTAs being that much of an indicator. Um, but, you know, you think about... Yeah, it's interesting. Like, most disappointing moment of the night for me, and I guess we'll get to the other aspect of it, but I, I found, I, and here's the thing, I, I think I, I think I was having a, uh, we were texting about this, so I, I may have changed my tune on this based on what I texted you guys last night, about the VFX award for First Man, um, and like, I was just happy to see First Man win something, so I was just like, okay, whatever, just somehow give that movie some recognition so Damien's name can get out there, but that movie is so mostly practical, I mean, there's CG in the film that fills in, so I guess you could make an argument that the CG was so seamless that it helped the practical effects this come to life. This is exactly my point. When you were yeah. celebrating that win last night, yeah. your whole point is with yeah. the moon landing no, that it's all right. just a giant screen and an actual capsule. But here's the thing, though. The CG work that goes into a movie, when it's done well, you don't notice it. Um, and if I remember, uh, I remember seeing a video of the behind the uh, scenes of how they shot a scene in Wolf of Wall Street when they were on like the boat yeah. and the entire thing was green screened. Mm. You would never have guessed it. Um, so I think a lot of the CG in First Man goes unnoticed because it's complemented by the practical effects. For example, the sequence in the moon at the end, you're using CG to remove the wires from the actors so they can look like they're floating. You know, it seems simple, but maybe that visual effects artwork, that work that goes into that. But here's the thing. I mean, I think we all agree that Avengers Infinity War deserve yeah, that Yeah, I would say as much as I love yeah. a world in which First Man has an Oscar yeah. win, that, that, that win should have gone to Avengers I think, Infinity War. I think emotionally last night when we were texting, because I, mean, I say things to you guys all the time that I, when I'm like super charged up that I'm not going to watch the Oscars... Because, you know, you just get, I mean, this... Oh, I remember you saying you're not going to watch the Oscars. <laughs> this stuff get, This stuff is emotional to me. It's very emotional to me. So I, 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 I feel deeply connected to the films that I cover uh, in, this, in a sense of, like, they, they emotionally affect me. Um, but my point being is that, like, I just... First Man was shut out of essentially everything. Um, so when that won, I was like, I was just thankful to hear First Man. But looking back on it now, you know, visual effects... You know, you, I think First Man or uh, Infinity War is clearly um, the winner there. But it's you know. the category that made me the most angry. That like, was that, weird. That yeah. made me so mad. It was a strange I, choice because that movie is so goes out of its way to be practical um, to a point where there's no green screen. They're just projecting images of space outside of these capsules that they right. physically built. So it is strange that a movie that was designed to be so practical. Got a, got a visual effects award. Our boy Zach Penn was tweeting about Ready Player One, and someone asked him, like, how is this not the front runner for VFX? And he was like, the Manhattan chase, the Shining uh, sequence. Like, he was listing all these things, and he's like, all it's pulled hard to argue off by one of the greatest uh, filmmakers of our generation, um, but apparently not, not good enough. I actually it. would argue that that racing sequence in the beginning of Ready Player One could have been the winner for that movie. But I mean, right. you, you got you got to look at how perfect Brolin's performance capture uh, CGI looks. It's unbelievable, and, and he's in, he's a huge character, so it's flawless. All right, let's get into it. Best Picture winner, 2019 Green Book. 
Um, to me, it's it's definitely one of those films where um, we're just gonna we're gonna look back. Uh, I can't remember if we've said this on the podcast or if we said it on the text chain, but you know, we'll we'll see that it 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 won um, in a king speech sort of way, in an artist sort of way. Um, in a crash sort of way. In a crash sort of way. We will look at the films that it competed against. Uh, to me, off the top of my head, it's it's nowhere near close to Black Klansman, Black Panther, Roma, uh, Stars Born. Um, I'll even say Vice. I, I, I like Green Book more than Bohemian Rhapsody. I like it more than The Favorite. Those are the only two. That I, that I put it behind. I think Green Book out of the bunch is the least, my least favorite out of all eight of them. In, interesting. See, I, I don't you know, want to do this thing where I'm waiting it now because it won and I'm disappointed because no, I don't we, hate the movie. We like Green Book. That, and that's the thing. We all that's, like I it. I do want to point that out. We all like the movie. I, I, like, yeah, I, I know a lot of people that like Green Book. I know a lot of people that Green, link Green Book's perfectly it's fine. It's good. But when it comes to people that, that have a knowledge of movies, and, 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 and like I said, and I say that because... My mom, well, I took my mom to the screening. She walked out thinking it was one of the best films she's ever seen in her entire life. Like, she, she, my mom is ecstatic. Uh, and a lot of people around my mom's age, what would you, would you call that, like baby boomers? Mm-hmm. Um, think that that movie is fantastic. Like, there is an audience for that movie. It's very good. But, I mean, but is it the best no. movie of the year? No. No, it's not. Like, it's like, you can find, you can throw a stone and find someone that likes Green Book. You got to throw that stone pretty far to find someone that really thinks it's the best film. I mean, do you guys know of any major critic that named it number one? No, but it, but do you know, it, do you know of anyone that named it number one? Well, so what it does is instead it satisfies a broad base in the fact that it got People's Choice Awards at Toronto. Yeah. Um, did it win PGA? Is it that won the one the PGA. that it won? Yeah. It won the PGA. Yeah, it won PGA. Um, Which also does the same preferential ballot. As the Oscars, yeah. So that's the preferential ballot system needs to be taken away immediately. I, I this this system is in place to award a film that is generalized and liked, not necessarily the best movie. Your award is called best picture, not a uh, uh, middle of middle picture that everyone agrees on <laughs> no I'm, I'm i mean essentially that's what yeah. that, that's what's happening here right like it, it the movie again we don't know for sure i mean every academy member might have put that at number one i highly doubt it i mean it's my opinion but think about this for one second that movie won in my opinion because of a system that allowed a average film to find a common ground would right. you guys agree Yes, I mean, I think so. That is a very strange type of voting system to give the best movie of the year based on a middle ground preferential ballot. Well, but when it was announced, it just it struck me as funny. Like it's it's the it's the punchline answer to what's wrong with the Oscars as a whole. Right. Like if everyone's like, oh, my God, you have really edgy, controversial, challenging movies like Black Klansman and Roma and The Favorite and Vice, which goes after, you know, U.S. politics and all of these places you could go. The punchline is, but we picked Green Book, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially, uh, it's like it's like going to Italy and eating at Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's like, and I yeah, love Olive Garden. Sure, it's food. Yeah. But look what else you got. Yeah, I love Olive Garden. Right. 
But you wouldn't eat an Olive Garden if you were in Rome. It's the equivalent. See, I most of my metaphors, actually. if you can't tell, are Italian food related. <laughs> I love Olive Garden. John Favreau is the cheese pizza of directors. I, 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 Green Book is the Olive Garden. Yeah, just But, you know, when you have all of these other films to choose from, and, and granted... Sean, I like I know you didn't you weren't crazy about the favorite, but you have to admit that the favorite it, at least ha, at least challenge it, it requires more of you as a viewer. Yes. It demand it, and it and it brought more to the table and it, and it shoved all the chips in the middle and said, "Look, maybe you'll hate me, but maybe you'll love me." And and I I'd much rather I'd rather much rather hate a movie that just th- just went balls to the wall and just gave it all and gave it a shot and I and I'll go, "You know what? Not my cut." Like Okay, I didn't hate it, but like Roma, not my thing, not my thing. I I arguably like probably enjoyed the process of watching Green Book more than Roma, but I would much rather Roma win Best Picture. Sure. To me, much Roma is a better representation of what good cinema is, even though I didn't personally connect with it. All two right, thing, so two things real fast, Sean, real fast. Uh, okay. First of all, uh, don't ever. Uh, Hate on Olive Garden, Olive Garden, never again because it's a it's a masterpiece. I'm not I'm not hating on Olive Garden. <laughs> I'm joking. But if you're in if you're in Rome, you're not going to eat at Olive Garden. I will go there for the salad though because they have the best salad of all time. I would definitely if I was in Rome, I'd get I get pasta. I swear to God, if place. we do a junket in Rome and you go to Olive Garden, I will never let you. <laughs> Dude, I was in Seville, Spain once for for a press thing, and I went to Taco Bell because I had to try it. I wanted but that's to try on it brand. in that's on Spain. Brand. All right, but uh, one other thing I want to say about you know was it different. Oh yeah, the meat was actually really cool, and it was different in Spain. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I, I, and I even McDonald's. I, I go to McDonald's every time I go to Paris or France, and I was gonna Royale with cheese. I, it's fun. you're so worldly. It's funny to me, like when I walk in there with my phone, and, and I'm like, I'm like so excited to order a Royale with cheese, and the McDonald's person's like. What is your problem? And, like, I, and I'm normally the guy like hiding in the corner with why, my hand over my face. Why are like, you oh, so God. excited to order a Royale with cheese? And I remember one time, dude, I promise you, like you're you're not the first American that's gone into oh, a McDonald's in France awesome. and ordered a Royale with cheese. Yeah. What point are you trying to make? Make a point. Oh. Kevin has a point. <laughs> I don't even know. He forgot. I actually, it. don't remember. Dave, this is all right. Well, let me time, let man. me ask this then. Do, does the win by Green Book change the way that you guys felt the Academy? was progressing where we had recent winners shape of water moonlight we were getting away from what we thought was the traditional safe academy pick and then we went right back to ground zero with a safe academy pick it is a it is a reminder you know i was i've made the joke many times that in order for the academy to change unfortunately a lot of the older members are quite literally going to have to die and and the this this new age of of the academy is going to have to take over and it's this to me green book is a reminder that there is a lot of the old traditionalist uh academy of voters still left that are voting members because to me that's exactly who i mean you you can't honestly think that like the voting members that are our age all voted for green book to me that's to me it's the the people that have been voting members since the 50s and 60s those are probably the ones that all voted for green book and and uh, we're not, maybe, yeah, maybe we aren't as far along uh, in the progressive academies we thought we were going to be. I right. have to give props to Sean for the, probably the greatest tweet I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> when when Green Book won, he posted the gif of arguably one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history uh, of Jeff Daniels um, in the uh, bathroom in Dumb and Dumber, which to, to this day I still think is one of my favorite performances of all time. Um, and it was... It was just like it was funny to see the words like this director just won best picture. 
But I mean, listen, I, I'm all for filmmakers jumping uh, and trying to find new genres. I think it's hilarious. I think it's awesome that the guy who directed that scene was on that stage. I don't think Green Book was the best picture, but it is hilarious to me to think that the guy who directed that sequence won best picture last night. It's, all right, before it's, it's before wild. we before we get completely off the Oscars, I know we do want to talk about the uh, what, what I think all three of us agree is the best moment from the evening, which is the performance of Shallow, um, Showstopper. Uh, it was everything that I really hoped it was going to be. The music numbers up to that point were disappointing. Uh, Bette Midler did nothing for me, and I love that song. Um, yeah, just like Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, Jennifer Hudson struggled through that note. She had that one note she had to hold. I think they took the Coen Brothers song and made an awesome song into a terrible performance. I, I actually agree with you on that. I actually really heck? like that song. Why did they just let Tim Blake Nelson sing I that? I don't know. I don't understand it that. Was awful. It was It was so awful. bad. Yeah, it was such a bad rendition of that song. I'm with you. I, I, what, where was... T- can Tim Blake Nelson... And Emily Blunt, like, are they? Do they not want to sing live? Is that is that is that what happened there? And also, do we know why they didn't perform the Black Panther song? Uh, uh, I guess just because Kendrick Lamar didn't. Kendrick, yeah, but he was in but, Europe. He but, was, a, was in a European okay, tour. Like, why didn't someone announce? The, yeah, I mean, everyone. Else, I, I mean, all know. the other songs aside from Shallow had someone else singing. He, nobody can know. replicate Kendrick. It's it's not possible. Kendrick Lamar is is one uh, one of the greatest musicians of all time, and I don't think anybody could ever stand in for him. I really don't. I mean, I I don't think that that type of artistry is matched uh, in another person. But do you think that that? I mean, I get that I get what you're saying. But do you think that that is why the Academy made that decision? Oh no, I I genuinely I was reading online, and I don't want to uh, be factually wrong here. I believe Kendrick was on a European tour, and I, I and I, I can double check that. But I mean, but but do you believe that they made the decision not to, to just not have that song? Period, because they thought, well, no one else can do it. That's my thought process on it. I don't. I, I mean, listen, and we we had those two random singers doing Tim Blake Nelson song. Um, but I think Badly. that's. Yeah, but I mean, I do, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody can do what Kendrick does. The guy is a mastermind. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't disagree with you, and, and whoever went up there and, and tried to attempt it wouldn't, that song, you're right, probably would have butchered it, Yeah, but it didn't It didn't stop all the other songs from being but, butchered by... But the Mary Poppins song isn't it. as, it wasn't a big hit like that song was. Yeah. Like, that was a gigantic, gigantic song, and it was like... You know, I, I I don't know. I I I don't know why who else could do that song besides him. I really don't. Did you, did you guys love Shallow? Did you think um, it lived up to its billing? Loved billing? it. Loved it. It was unbelievable. Did you think they were going to kiss? I thought they were going to kiss. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I really did too. And I kind of wanted them to. Yeah, I, everyone did. The way that was yeah. shot was so incredible. You're right. It was You're so right. intimate. And I remember, like I've told this in the podcast before. What was brilliant about Star is Born, oh my god, by the way, I, I gotta mention this, if you have not gotten a Star, a Star is Born Blu-ray yet, there's a making of featurette on there that is, in my opinion, every Academy Award member should have watched before voting. Because that right there was the reason why that film was Best Picture. Everything about what that went into that, I mean, Bladley Cooper wrote Black Eyes, the song he opens this movie with, like a couple days before doing that. And they went out on stage, and he only had a 10-minute window to shoot it. That's all he had. He had to do it in 10 minutes. And then he had to do Glastonbury in four minutes. One time. Like, you only have literally four minutes to get this take right, and that's, that's wow. your shot in the movie. Right. Um, so under that pressure is mind-blowing. But back to the shallow performance, I mean, Cooper's talked a lot about this and being on stage behind Lars Ulrich, who's the drummer from Metallica, and learning about the perspective of an artist on a stage looking out at a crowd. 
And that's how he wanted to shoot a Star is Born. That was like, what a brilliant... I saw someone tweet that this was like the alternate ending to Star is Born. Like, they were like... It was almost like they were in their own world. You didn't yeah. even know... Like, the audience were like, just like... They were just like shadows. Yeah, that's why I'm you know, saying. Gabe, uh, Gabe texted us and pointed out something really interesting: is that during so many of the Oscar performances, a camera will cut to a celebrity in the crowd to get their yeah. reaction, and the lighting, as Gabe pointed out, was such that it it was almost as if they were the only ones in the room. Yeah. Like, you know, they never cut to another person's face. Though I would love to see Bradley Cooper's girlfriend's face during that performance, but it never cut to anyone else. You could, aside from maybe a few people that you could tell who it was in the front row, you couldn't really tell who any. Of the, it, there were, it was just like, like it was a faceless audience, and it was like they were the only two people on the planet. I thought that was perfect, absolutely perfect. And it was perfect for the Oscars because it was shot so cinematically. And I, I would assume it was done on a steady cam. But I was saying this earlier in the podcast about the the, the hostless show. I thought I, I thought it was so brilliant that they just literally went right into it. There was no introduction. There was right. no like you you saw the behind the scenes people rolling out the piano and they just walk on stage together gracefully. And it, it, there's something so beautiful about the intimacy of that performance. It it was being seen by. I guess billions. I don't know how many people watch well, the Oscars the around the world. it was the moment everybody was waiting for. Truth. Yeah. I and mean, they... Oh. And, so, and, and, he, and he sounded great. And he, here's the thing about Bradley Cooper. Another reason why he deserved Best Actor and Director. He's not a singer. The guy's not a singer or a musician. He's an actor who learned these skills to make a movie. And now which he's Which is why when you said Rami's clip was weird um, oh. when they showed it... Because it, to me, I was like, oh, well, you're just lip syncing. I forgot you're just lip yeah. You're not singing this. Like, why would they pick that clip? Terrible. Like, there were clips in which he actually acted well in the movie. Why yeah. would you pick a clip in which we all know you're not actually singing? Right, I was surprised right, right, they right. didn't. They, I rewatched Bohemian over the weekend because Lauren and I were just kind of putting on movies in the background because we were just home all weekend. I'm surprised they didn't use the fruit fly sequence. There's a sequence where he goes out into the rain after uh, Lucy Boynton's character gets into a cab and drives away, and then uh, the guy from Downton Abbey walks out to the house to tell uh, Freddie to come back in, and he and he goes, why didn't you tell me about Live Aid? And then he says, you know when something's gone rotten? And he goes, the fruit flies that go to, go to the rotten food. It's And it's like raining. It's like a beautiful performance. I mean, or that or the Live Aid sequence. Mm. Um, there, the Live Aid sequence w- just shows some of that. I mean, he was yeah. when he's dancing around on stage... But that dialogue he has about the, the fruit flies was, I, I, I'll never forget that. It was a, a very powerful sequence. Would have made a good clip. All right. So that was our recap. Do you have anything, anything else you want to weigh in about the telecast? Or? Good. Then let's shift over to this week's Real Blend game, which was uh, featuring someone who won. Oh, oh, gosh. No, wait. I totally forgot. We have a bet we have to settle. Oh, that's... Oh! Oh! Gabe, I forgot about Gabe, this. are you going to talk? Is this going to be Gabe's first time talking on the... Sh- Come on, Gabe! Oh, talk on the Gabe. show! This People is your moment. Hear the you can reveal who wins your voice. the burger competition. All right, so for people who might oh, not have listened last week, uh, we bet that... Uh, so we all gave our picks. We uh, decided that if the whoever gets the most amount wins and whoever gets the least amount loses the loser has to pay for a meal at the winner's burger place of choice kevin's is in and out uh jake's is whataburger water mine, mine is shake shack hey hey watch uh, it you might be eating water burger very soon gabe says <laughs> okay, he is okay. going to drop just, the winner message us here. the loser we have a clear cut 
We have a clear cut uh, winner and a clear cut loser. That's correct. <laughs> we have no ties, Gabe. Because yeah, because because the the loser pays and then the winner picks and then the middle middle person just exists. Middle person just enjoys. All right, he says he's going to drop it in here. So I'm I'm looking at the chat. Oh, you don't know currently. yet. Wait, wait. I, no, I don't. What know is Gabe giving you now? Know. The winner or the loser? No, the, the, he says the winner is, but I don't want the winner. I want the loser. I want the loser. Oh, or no? Do we want to know where we're going first? We want to know where we're going. Okay, so the winner is. No, now he says the loser is. The winner is... Damn it, Gabe! Okay, here he goes again. Hold on, oh he's I feel like I'm watching the best picture announcement again. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not. It's a three-way tie. No, it's not. <laughs> no. That's not possible. <laughs> no! No! How's that possible? Are No! We disagreed on enough categories. All got 12. Wow. You all got 12 categories. What? All right, so we'll just go ahead and announce it's the best one. That is the most on brand thing that Real Blend has, has ever done. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All three right, of so us how, got 12. Wait, we, right, that we, we, that we, is the equivalent of Green Book winning best picture. <laughs> we clearly, clearly have to break this tie. What are we going to do? I don't know. How do we break the tie? Um, all right, I have it Captain Marvel box office. Okay. Right now, based on what we know about the movie, possible tracking, whatever information you have, Open weekend? Does Captain Marvel open over $100 million? Oh, we're just saying yes or no, or we're giving our number? Oh, it's I feel like we have to give a number, right? Uh, I, guess, I say yeah. we give a number. It, it is a little harder than I thought. All right, hold, let's, let's do something different then. All right, we will settle this next week, because now we're stuck in a tie. All right, so we need... Why don't we ask our listeners? Okay. So why don't our listeners who are listening to this podcast right. tell us how we should break our tie? It okay, needs yeah. to be some type of um, thing that we can tally, like something that yes. we can like we can gauge who's gotten more right or or not. I like that. All right, we want suggestions either on the Real Blend Twitter or email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. How did we a, a tie? Way tie. tie? Are you tie. freaking kidding That's me? That's the most disappointing thing. I'm so disappointed in each of you. <sighs> How did this happen? I, How did you I'm let this surprised. happen? I, I thought I was definitely going to lose. I thought I was like... I thought it was going to be close, but I thought it would come down... Because we disagreed, what, on screenplay? And then we disagreed on a couple of the sound ones? I mean, like, I know we didn't disagree I, on I much. I picked Terrace Blanchard for score. But I thought that there were enough. And I didn't get that. Um, I didn't get VFX. Oh, well, none of us got VFX, I guess. Gabe's solution that each of us has to buy burgers at each spot. By the way, I do want to, uh, you mentioned score. I want to give a shout out. I thought Ludwig's score was awesome. Uh, uh, his um, speech was awesome. That was a cool moment um, when he yeah, got out there. Yeah, that was a nice I speech. didn't realize that him and Ryan met at USC and they were like doing short films together. And I mean, think about that for one second. 12 years ago, those guys were at USC making movies together. It's amazing. And now they've made, I think Ludwig did Fruitvale and Creed with Ryan. I could be wrong, but... Man, imagine being on that stage and looking over at your friend who was your college roommate or whatever right. and going, we're at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, winning. And by the way, I, I, oh, I, there was a great tweet today that blew my mind that was so accurate. And this is the only thing that made me mad about last night's show. Why couldn't a camera find Ryan Coogler? They kept saying his name over and over again in speeches, and the camera could never find where he was. Eventually, it found him. Oh, and really? Got, and, got to, and showed him in the crowd. Uh, until they finally found him, and this is based on someone's tweet that I saw that uh, it completely reminded me of how I felt. They, were, they kept saying Ryan Coogler, and they kept looking in a direction, any winner who was up there, 
and they never would cut to Ryan Coogler. I wonder and if there he was, was never in his seat. Maybe he was just up, moving around. I mean, it just I, I was like, why is Ryan not here? Because I remember, I remember an interview with Kevin Feige. Or, or that Oscars cameraman had no idea what Ryan Coogler looks like. <laughs> well, Kevin Feige said in a podcast uh, that I saw in, a, in an article that if Black Panther had won Best Picture, that 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 Coogler would be on stage to accept the award. That he would he would be the one that would give the speech. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I figured he was definitely there. But for a, a lot of the night until they finally showed him. I didn't think Ryan Coogler was in the audience. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. All right. Uh, we have to quick do this week in movies, and there's only three. And uh, uh, did you guys see Greta? No. Did you guys see Climax? No. Jake, you saw Tyler Perry. You saw Tyler Perry. How is it? I don't think that... Jake, be careful on that, because I think Lionsgate has really weird yeah, embargoes. Yeah, it's an opening day embargo. The, the, his movie specifically. Yeah, yeah, Oh, it's an opening day embargo? All right. Yeah. All right, that's his I weekend movies. I asked um, Tyler Perry <laughs> about that question one time because he doesn't allow, I believe, I don't know if it's still the same thing, he no longer is a la- screens his films to critics. And I can't remember, I asked him why, and I said, I'm a critic and I want to review your movie. Why can't you let me see your film to review it? And I can't, I'll have to find the answer, but it was something along the lines of people they're bad. just, they're, they're, well, <laughs> there's a lot of hatred towards my films and it, the essentially it was something about the audience and the critics um, and didn't also didn't he also say something? something? Like that, he's know. a really that. tough interview. He, he's a businessman. He, just because his answers are very short, his his yeah. he's I, very I, succinct. I always prepare more questions than I normally do. You have he's, to. He's smart. Yeah. He's smart. He's a smart guy. And the guy, the guy is. I and mean, listen, he's actually been in some good movies. Like his role in Gone Girl was great. I mean, he's yeah. done some good stuff. Um, he's Colin Powell in Vice. Yeah, that was cool too. But I, mean, I just feel like these Medea movies. There are some of them I kind of like the first couple ones, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't but seen he doesn't, one. It's, he fascinates me in an interview because he never gives you any more than just the answer to the question that you right. asked. Right. That's it. It's, I mean, he gives us, he gives sound bites. Yeah. Yeah. I give him that. That's yeah. amazing. Like right. he, he is the easiest person to edit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. All right. This week's uh blend game. We are playing uh Spike Lee, bl- Spike Lee blend, which I think is appropriate given coming off the fact that Spike won his first Oscar uh, seemed to be having the absolute most fun at last night's uh, ceremony more than anybody else, especially after he won. Uh, this morning, I thoroughly enjoyed watching Spike giving his behind-the-scenes interviews. Did because... you see the one on the BBC? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. That's my cup of tea. Oh, my God. These two British guys. <laughs> my favorite thing that he does is tell he tells a joke, and then he runs it's away. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that. I do that. Like, he literally, like, he was in, being interviewed. This is for people who don't, haven't seen this. He's being interviewed by, it looked like the BBC, I believe. Yeah. Um, and this guy goes, the question was something along the lines of, why were you so offended by Green Book? Is that, was that the question? Something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. yeah. And Spike goes, oh, offended. Um, are you British? You're British? Yeah. All right, let me answer this in a British way. And he goes, it wasn't my cup of tea. Now the line itself was clever, but they, he literally ran off like a twelve-year-old kid. It was hilarious. Died laughing. <laughs> it was awesome. Like it well, made and me... you know what? He handled it so well because it's not a good look for him to criticize no. another film. It's not. But he's also not changing his tune. He's not going to be like, "No, I, th- I respect it." Or he's not doing that either. He's finding a very clever way out of saying nice things about Green Book, which I think is fantastic. So. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's an interesting balance. The thing he did during the show, reportedly, that to me was disrespectful. Um, but like an interview like that, that's funny to me. Reportedly, from a tweet that I saw, and I don't know if this has been confirmed, is that he got up out of his seat after they announced yeah. Green Book and tried to leave. Is that correct? Yes. And, and then apparently he was... Yeah, you can see him. He was you can stopped see him from get leaving. Up and leave. 
And I, I sent you guys, there was a lot of things that kind of happened off camera. I sent you guys a video before the show today. Rami Malek fell off stage at the end of the show. Like, right. hurt himself. Like, it is a wild video. Like, you see his head walking, and then you see him no more. Like, he just, he just <laughs> And falls, you hear it. And you, you hear, hear it. it. And Alfonso yeah. Cuaron turns around. I hope he's okay. I mean, that was like yeah. a weird, really weird moment. I don't understand what happened. All right. Spike Lee blind. Uh, Jake, I'm told you get to go first. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about Spike Lee is that he gives slices of life, slices of life from from different um, places, from different people, and from different times that uh, I am not super familiar with. And he, uh, you know, I always, whether I like his movies or, or not, and I don't always, I walk away from his films feeling like I know more about a time and a place and a, and a group of people that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a little bit more aware of something. And the one that is my favorite of his, one, one I'm not saying best, but is my favorite, is 25th Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this very simple story of a man who knows that he's got what he's got 24 hours left before he's got one day before he has to check into prison, and he's got all of these sort of loose ends that he's got to tie up. And it's a simple story in and of itself, but even that itself kind of sounds interesting. But then it, it's also a slice of life of New York in the months after 9-11 mm-hmm. and this very sort of tense feeling that everyone, you know, after the rah-rah of patriotism kind of faded away, um, there was sort of this kind of this deep-seated tension um, that I would imagine, uh, having not been to New York until many years after 9-11, uh, I would imagine was 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 there and was deep-rooted in a lot of people. Um and and just everything about that movie, I think it's it's one of his sharpest screenplays. A collection of performances from Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rosario Dawson, Barry Pepper. Um, really, just it's an incredible ensemble piece, and features one of the most haunting, horrific, uh, powerful monologues uh, of any movie in recent memory, which is Edward Norton just staring into the mirror, just going off. On uh, every group of, of people imaginable, uh, it is it is my favorite uh, Spike Lee movie because I felt like I walked away just most impacted and really having my eyes open to a slice of life in a time of which I didn't really realize it was that was a time I really super needed to know about. Yeah, that's a great choice, man. That's a, and di- like all of Spike's films, um, but more so, there's like a handful of them that are deeply personal to him uh, that you just know that he's absorbing stuff that's going on in his day-to-day life, you know, and putting it into a, a camera at the right time. Uh, and it's one of the things I talked about um, with Black Klansman and how he makes it so contemporary, even though it's set in the 70s, um, is that you can almost miss your window, you know, when you try to put so many messages into it because the the political climate can change or what's relevant in the headlines uh, can shift away. But with 25th Hour... He, he really did tap into that post 9-11. It's like a frustration, you know, it like weighs on people like a blanket of just like now we're in this post 9-11 uh, era and we're not we're just not gonna be able to shake it right away. And it definitely affected those guys in that movie. It's very true. Great choice. Great choice. Um, I go next and I get I picked um, I picked he got game uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, the aspect of Spike that I connect with more on any other level is his love of basketball. Um, he is, uh, he, I'm a huge, huge basketball fan. Basketball is a religion in the Carolinas. My boys play basketball. Um, I'm a diehard NBA fan. I'm a diehard college basketball fan. And I love how much Spike loves basketball. 
and um, he's done some great sports documentaries uh, around basketball, basketball teams, history of basketball, and then, of course, this movie, He Got Game. The first time I interviewed Spike was for The Miracle of St. Anna, and I was so freaking nervous to sit across from him. Like, it's just, it's Spike Lee. And he's an intimidating guy. I was so overly prepared, and I sat down and I said, uh, hey, I'm from the NBC affiliate in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he goes, man, what is Jordan doing with the Bobcats? And I was like... <laughs> I was like, what are you talking? I did not expect basketball questions from him at all. And he was like, you guys have not been able to build a team yet. You're stuck in the, ba- you can't even get into the eighth seat. And he just like went right into it. And I was, and I can talk basketball forever. So we did for the longest time. And then uh, he just kept asking me questions. Like whenever we would get to the end of the next question, he'd be like, yeah, but why did you trade this guy? And how can we not, why isn't this guy getting more playing time? And then um, the people around him were freaking out because it was at TIFF and it was clearly a tight day. And then Spike said, give him more time. Yeah, I need he needs to have more time <laughs> yes. because I took up all of his time talking to him about Jordan and, and the Bobcats. And so I was like, love that story. Was, I love stories like that. It was great. It was really great. And uh, and the other reason why I love He Got Game is I think it's infused with, a, with Spike's love of basketball. But I love Sleazy Denzel. Sleazy Denzel is so cool to watch. Um, I think he just enjoys playing those aspects um, more so than he wants to be the traditional hero, you know, on screen. And uh, to, to be the dad who has to sort of corrupt his his young son, played by a young Ray Allen, who is incredible in his prime, uh, to go play ball so that he can get a shorter prison sentence is, again, I think I think it's, it's subject matter that Spike really loves and he's kind of surprised he gets to play around in it, you know, and it, it creates to me a really passionate film. Um, and, and whenever people talk about Spike Lee, they're like, oh, he's just angry and opinionated. No, he's not. You know, he can, he can quite often pull off these really entertaining crap. Inside Man is another one like that, uh, that he's not always this I'm on a soapbox preaching at people. He's just a gifted storyteller. And, and he got game is one that I go back to often so that's why i picked that that's a great pick also yeah. a great pick cool. all great, great choices pick. i mean like that that's the thing about spike lee is that there's so many you can go to i mean and everybody has a very personal uh attachment to his movies for sure kevin yeah um well i mean i feel like you know my mind is a bit more cliche because i i guess it's the it's the one that you would expect people to go to for spike lee because it's it's a masterpiece but it is do the right thing yeah um and but I have a very personal connection to that film because uh, I was in college. I hadn't seen the film at that time. It was like 2001 or two. I'm sorry. It was 2004, 2005. I took a class um, in, Eng- in English class called Com 332 or English 332. And every week you would go to like the Johnson Center Cinema at George Mason University and you would sit in this little theater and you'd watch a film and then you would spend a week dissecting it. Um, and the, one of them was Do the Right Thing. Citizen Kane was another one. Um, but Do the Right Thing was something that stuck out to me because of the way it was shot. Um, also, it's scary relevant, extremely relevant, like, like, Still. like, like timeless, like that movie is now. I mean, there are elements of that movie that are right now. And it's like very strange to watch it over and over again, because as the political climate changes throughout the years, that movie changes uh, with it. So what I mean by that is you watch the film in whatever climate you're in and you find things that are relevant and the movie kind of grows. It becomes more. Um, And I find that interesting that a movie can do that when it's sitting there on a disc 
The movie's done. It's edited. Yeah. It, 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 right. It's 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 printed. It's done. But it's not done. Um, so to have a movie actually live, like, like continue to grow right. um, from 1989 to now. I mean, the movie's what? Is it 20? No, 30, 30 years now. Um, oh, yeah. 30-year anniversaries this year. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so it's interesting because in dissecting that film... It's his shot choices that blew my mind. Um, it's a very, it's a very beautifully photographed movie um, in regards to the way it's shot. Um, you feel the heat of that mm. summer, like uh, I, I, I get hot yeah. watching that movie. Man, when they're yeah. in the apartment, um, or uh, I, there's there are so many scenes in that film, and I, I say this a lot about movies. I I find myself wanting something. To change, I, I hope something different happens. Like I hope Radio Rahim does not die, right. um, and that sequence, I just I hope that someone's gonna somehow step in and go, guys, just stop, stop. I mean, this yeah. is this is you know, it, it to me, it, it's such a powerful thing to be immersed in a storyline so much that you forget and kind of hope the disc will change, that something will happen with the movie that you don't expect, um, and then the fight, the power song, Public Enemy. What a what an anthem that that song is just that song is the movie. Way, yeah. What a oh that I mean and then going going with uh, what Jake was saying about the monologue that Edward Norton has in front of the mirror. That movie has a great moment like that with multiple characters looking essentially right into the camera, mm-hmm. saying exactly what you're talking about. I think the the bit not the bit but the the thing they do and do the right thing is they have each. They have a certain uh, groups of people talk about other groups of people, uh, very similarly to kind of what e- Edward does uh, in the mirror. But it's you know it's one person in Twentieth Hour. But it is oh my god that that film is I don't understand how that was an was that his first movie? No, he uh, did. She's uh, got to have it. Okay, so uh, School Days I think was before was School Days before that. When did he do uh, Mo Better Blues? Mo Better Blues was after. See, I don't see my first Spike Lee movie was Do the Right Thing. I know, technically speaking, I would have already seen some of his other work, like he got game and things like that outside before yeah. I went to college. But She's gotta have it was eighty six, school days was eighty eight, and that was Do the Right Thing was eighty nine, and okay. then No Better Blues was ninety, and then Jungle Fever ninety one. So and it's then his, Malcolm X ninety two. Good yeah. lord, Spike has great movies. It's his third film. So I mean, it, there's something about that movie that like I said, that just continues to grow um, and just like I mean there's the little things about it like I I think there's nothing more intense than a sequence when a guy's shoe gets scuffed like I mean I'm like like, remember the character like I mean that is not a a, not a normal tension sequence that you would have in a movie that you go you'd be on the edge of your seat about but like that scene makes me it's an intense sequence Um, and there's something weird about that film in the sense of tonal like the, the way it shifts tones um, there's so much comedy in that movie then there's like so much uh, relevant elements of racism uh, and mm-hmm. things like that so it, it just it, I don't know there's something about the way that film is structured shot photographed scored uh, soundtrack I mean, everything about it and then Spike is your is telling us the story Spike it's interesting Spike's directing it and also leading us through it physically on screen mm-hmm. yep. um, which is interesting to me so there's a lot to be said about that movie that I could just go on forever about but I remember dissecting it very carefully in school and it leaving a major mark on me and that's my favorite movie of his and also I think his best film to date and I think Black Klansman was to in my opinion brought me back to that excitement level that I had with Spike at that time yeah. that's why I loved I, it so I, much 
I think Black Klansman will be another movie that even though it's done on the disc, oh. it's going to change. It'll change it, you know, for years to come also. I agree with that 100%. Uh, Matt Posentano agrees with Kevin, says do the right thing. Uh, Kyle David Perry said Inside Man. And uh, Robert Shivery, longtime listener, uh, went with Black Black K Klansman, which I'm going to be able to say for the last time this award season. Black K Klansman. Oscar winner, Black K Klansman. Uh, for next week, you can reach out on Twitter and play along with... The next blend game, or you can also let us know your picks via email at realblend at cinemablend.com. But in honor of our good friend and patron saint, Alfonso Coran, winning uh, an Oscar, uh, and in honor of the fact that the Academy decided they were going to backtrack and actually announce cinematography on the show, we are going to play hashtag Chivo Blend oh. and celebrate... Ooh. The films of Emmanuel Lubeski. So that oh. is start kicking those around. Kids. Oh. <laughs> start Ooh. kicking those around. Hashtag Chivo Blend. I, lo- I love one when you when you name one and I don't automatically know what my answer is going to be. Yeah, that, yeah. This, this one is going to take some time. <laughs> I mean, I have like three or four floating in my mind right now. Right. I, 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 and when we get to that episode, I want we Jake and I have to tell a funny story about like literally oh, going, yeah. staying up as late as we could to go to a Stalk party him. to stalk him, <laughs> to like meet him. And we did and we and did. We did. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I framed the restraining order. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll at one point, time. we had Alejandro Inarritu's daughter help us. Especially <laughs> saying, for the love of God, would <laughs> yeah. you talk to these guys? Help us. <laughs> and the cat. Uh, meanwhile, DiCaprio's in the corner over there, and we're all just like, couldn't care less. We just want to be cheap. We call that a tease. All right. Listeners can follow us online. Jake is at at Jake's Takes. Kevin is at at Kevin McCarthy TV. I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Of course, we have the Real Blend Twitter feed that our community is using uh, and growing by the day. At Real Blend uh, on Twitter. Go over to the iTunes. Drop us a review. As you saw, we will read it at the top of the show. If you are not on iTunes and listen to us through some other sort of podcast means, you can also email us at realblend. Uh, at cinemablend.com. We have a couple of events coming up that we're going to be able to start talking about, but I can't talk about them just yet. Although one is coming up sooner rather than later, so pay attention to the Twitter feed. Uh, We'll be back next week for episode number 59. Is that right? Yes. So, uh, and hopefully, if you guys have solutions to how we can break the three-way tie for the Oscars blend, uh, send us your suggestions. We absolutely need them Cage match. In the meantime, as always, Blenders, thank you so much for listening, and Uh, done! Sorry. Kirk. I was I was completing a burp. Um, Dunkirk. Thank you. I hate this show. <laughs>